companies that I think are doing really well, the companies that I've enjoyed watching over time, um, they've kept their values pretty stable because they've been good values and well-tested. Um, and they've just been flexible in how they've expressed them and, um, and been really mindful of or thoughtful about um, which things they reward and recognize mm. and which things they don't. Because at the end of the day, like the other day, people don't. So there's a really funny thing that happens on survey questions about culture. If you ask people, is this particular tenant of the culture uh, present in the organization? And you, and you, and you type out the tenant in the way that it's sort of on the wall or on the page uh, in company communications, almost everybody says yes. Yeah. Because you're, you're, you're conditioned, you're just conditioned to nod. You're just conditioned <laughs> to nod when you see that and thumbs up like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to say yes to that. Right. But then if you, if you strip away all that language and just ask, do leaders here engage in the following behavior? And you use none of the words that are ever used to typically tie to that value. You get a much more accurate <laughs> assessment of that culture and practice. Welcome back or welcome to the Bridge Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Taylor. By trade, I am a consultant and facilitator with Bridge Partnership. And this podcast is really all about sitting down with inspirational change leaders from around the world to better understand both what they're doing in their world and how we can all create positive change in ourselves, our families, our organizations, and the wider world that we all share. I hope this series will inspire you, challenge you, and encourage you to be the positive change that you're looking to see in the world. This episode, I sit down with Justin Black. He's the head of people science at Glint. And we sat down a while ago while he was in lockdown in his attic in New York City during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, Justin, for more than a decade, he's been helping high-performing and innovative companies like Amazon, Facebook, Southwest Airlines understand and take action on their people data. Prior to Glint, as an executive at Sirota Consulting, he advised senior leadership teams on employee engagement and led the firm's innovation function. So he is an expert in industrial organizational psychology, the science of working smarter. His areas of specialty include survey methodology, people analytics, team effectiveness, innovation, employee engagement, culture change, and organizational effectiveness. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Justin. Welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Um, thanks for joining me tonight or, or morning. Where are you right now? Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm in New York. I'm in my attic on lockdown uh, in New York. In the attic. I love it. At least you've got an attic. I think there's a lot of people here in Hong Kong that would trade a digit for uh, for a bit of extra space like that. Yeah. I know why I, I would. Yeah. I said it gratefully. Uh, I'm glad to have a place uh, not to wake up the kids. It's yeah, good. for sure. Well, thanks again for joining. I um I know for, for our listeners... Um, and the intro I've just done, you know, I met Justin, what it was a couple months ago now, um, at an event that we did here in Hong Kong. Um, and yeah, in the spur of the moment, I asked if you'd be a, a willing participant to join. So thank you so much. It's taken a bit of time, but really appreciate you, uh, you joining us today. 
Yeah. Thanks, Scott. It's absolutely my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Cool. So um, what I'd love to do to kind of set us up and something that at Bridge we do a lot of is kind of core to all of our work is a, is a check-in. I think it's fair to say that these are unique times, strange times, challenging times. So I just love to take a minute to slow down before we get into the conversation and just check in with how you're feeling, how you're showing up and um, kind of what's going on for you coming into the podcast so we can get present and, and have a chat. Is that cool? Yeah, sounds great. Cool. So I'll, I'll go first. So I guess I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. Every podcast, it's kind of like, who knows where this will go. So there's a sense of nervousness. There's a sense of excitement. Um, and I'm also feeling, I had a session today with, with one of my mentors and um, there's a sadness. There's a sadness. I think that's not necessarily my sadness as a whole, but there's a general sense of grief, I think, that, that's going around the world right now with everything that's going on. So, um, you know, definitely hearing of people losing jobs and, and all of this. So my heart goes out to, to everyone being affected all across the world by, by COVID. And um, yeah, and I'm just really looking forward to connecting with you and having a chat to, to hear what's going on in the world of Glint and, uh, and all the cool change that you're driving around the world with the work that you do. So yeah, I'm checked in. Yeah. Great. So <clears throat> I think the first thing that came to mind when you asked the question was, uh, was resolute, uh, mm. sort of, you know, accept that it's not the kind of time where it's easy to be positive as much of the day as I normally like to feel positive. And, uh, <clears throat> and yet, you know, there are things to get done. We have family to take care of and, um, you know, teams to support. Uh, you know, I've spent the last few days in executive team offsites at Glint and LinkedIn. And um, these are, you know, more serious conversations than we normally have uh, these planning meetings. Uh, and so it does, you know, it did leave me with a feeling of resoluteness. It's, it's also amazing to see how people come together at a time like that. And that gives me a lot of energy. And so, uh, I'm feeling this balance of acknowledgement of this is a tough time and uh, also moderate, moderate positivity about uh, about an optimistic uh, future. I, in terms of the podcast itself, um, just coming off of uh, what I just told you about where I've spent my last three days, I'm really happy to have just a chance to connect and uh, and just talk uh, in an open way. So uh, So I'm feeling really good about that. I'm feeling energized about the next hour. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? With like, as soon as he said that, I was like, oh yeah, with all this social distancing, you kind of forget like what we've been talking a lot at Bridge Around is like the difference between connection and interaction. And like we spend our days now like interacting on Zoom calls and kind of going through the it of like running our businesses in this new norm. But I think there's this sense where we're all craving a bit of just to have a chat and just to, to, have space to slow down and um and i know we'll, we'll be talking about this but like the theme of it's it's okay to not be okay and kind of just bring your authentic self to some conversations is always helpful you know i think the concept of uh authentic self is really fascinating to me right now because you know we never mean bring all of yourself 
necessarily because there are just some parts of yourself you probably don't want to bring into the workplace right like there's a reason we there's a reason we sometimes have separation Private for some space, people yeah. i think they could for some people i think they could be comfortable bringing all of themselves to work i think some people wouldn't be so uh so that's fine and i, so I think people work hard to to uh to think about and and uh present the authentic self in a work environment uh that works for them all right. And so I think about this a couple of examples. A couple people have told me they're uncomfortable. One of them is a member of my team who's an introvert. And he often works from home anyway. And normally, like, he can turn the camera on or turn the camera off, and it's no big deal. Right. And so if he's feeling like he doesn't want to see anybody or anybody to see him, he can hide, uh, which is good for him. Except now everybody has their video on. Uh, and the expectation is because we're, we're physically distanced. We have to be socially connected. I have to see you, right? And it's driving him nuts. He he wants a break. <laughs> he's just it's like you know he's you know he's he, he thinks the excuse of my internet's not working isn't going to last uh, too much longer, right? Uh, so it's and then the other group of people that I think it's been interesting for um, in kind of a funny way from an authenticity uh, perspective is people who really like to start meetings right on time. Because, you know, for those of us who like to connect in the halls between meetings or in the micro kitchen or whatever it is on a quick phone call uh, between meetings, having back-to-back virtual meetings all day, yeah, for people who like to start right on time, it, they're, they're going a little nuts or they're driving other people nuts <laughs> because people just want a few minutes to chat, right, uh, at the beginning of a call. So it's been really fascinating for me just to just to watch uh, and pay attention to how, how I myself uh, am adjusting uh, to kind of new way of working, what authentic yeah. means now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's really interesting. I can, I've been toying around with a, a theory of trying to make a virtual background. That's like me paying attention that I can kind of just <laughs> turn on. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Something like that. Right. That's yeah. And, and it is so true of how, yeah, the, the expectation to have camera on now. That's an interesting one for sure. Um, so, I mean, knowing that you're in New York, knowing that you're in your attic and uh, it's the early morn there, uh, evening here in Hong Kong. I mean, maybe for our listeners to position, like, who are, who are you first? I would love to know before we get into the, the professional side of Justin Black and kind of like what you do um, as a vocation. Who are you as a human here on this planet? Like, what what are the, I often like to ask kind of like, what are three things that uh, are at the core of, of who you are from a talking about culture, a guy in culture, um, yeah. maybe three values or, or however you want to frame that of defining who you are. Yeah. Um, so family is the core uh, first and foremost, always when I think about what matters uh, and what I do first, um, I have a wife who thank God is my best friend uh, at a time of lockdown, <laughs> spending four weeks together when I'm normally on the road, uh, five out of six weeks. Um, two beautiful five-year-old kids that uh, I've really enjoyed spending a lot of extra time with. Um, and just I grew up in a a close family um, that you know treated each other like like partners. Uh, even my, you know my parents treated us like like partners, and so uh, that family connection is really important to me. Um, the second one is sort of just broader humanity. You know, I grew up also with 
parents who uh, put other people first. And, um, you know, we did a lot of stuff together growing up uh, to support our community and uh, to think about the, the world at large. Um, so I carry humanity with me uh, as a lens. Um, and the third is curiosity. Uh, um, the thing that, uh, at the end of the day, the thing that always gets me through a tough time is, uh, is going back to, uh, to curiosity, just thinking about it from a different perspective and, um, trying to figure out what I can learn, uh, from a situation. So if I had to pick three, Scott, those are probably the three. Awesome. I love it. Just straight off the top. Someone that's probably spent some time thinking about that. Um, uh, <laughs> I like threes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, to, to paint a picture of kind of where, so you're in your attic. Is there anything there that, uh, what's on your desk? What's around you for our listeners? Oh, my favorite new thing on my desk is, um, so I live in New York. LinkedIn headquarters is in California. Um, about every other week I go to California and then in between I go to other offices around the world. And um, my kids who are five, like I said, we've been doing Legos a lot. Uh, over the past couple of years, but especially over the past four weeks, uh, stuck in the house together. And it was my birthday last week, and my kids bought me a Lego set uh, of the city skyline of San Francisco and gave it to me and said, Daddy, we thought you missed your friends. So <laughs> we got you. Uh, yeah, it's the sweetest thing. I'm sure mom had something to do with it. Uh, so we've put that together over the past few days, and it's sitting on my desk now. Uh, yeah. That's brilliant. Have you ever done Lego serious play or anything like that? No. So using, yeah, it's a fascinating tool. We used it in, um, in our Institute this year in India, um, using it kind of as a facilitation tool for exploring, you know, getting everyone's voice in the room and, oh, it's fascinating. Seeing adults play with Mm -hmm. Lego again, seeing adults play with Lego for the first time was mind blowing, right? Because you kind of presume that, everyone's got Lego growing up, but parts of the world, they're like, what are these bricks that you're speaking of? It was fascinating. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I spent hours as a kid in my room by myself playing with Lego. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's a big part of my childhood. I love this. I love that my kids love it. It's wonderful. Yeah, exactly. The excuse to play for sure. Exactly. So, I mean, um, so coming kind of like, where are you from? A bit of position, like where did you grow up? Kind of where did, where did Just Black start out? And maybe we can just have a quick kind of chronological to like how, and then how did you end up where you are now? How does one sure. get to, to glint? Yeah, sure. So um, I was born in a little town in Ohio in the United States, a little town called Gallup Police, which is way down in the south on the West Virginia border. It's on a, it's on a river um, in a you know generally rural and fair, relatively poor part of the United States. And I lived in places like that uh, in Ohio and Tennessee um, until I was about seven, uh, and we moved to Wisconsin. And we moved around a lot because my dad was a college administrator, and so as he was uh, trying to move up in his career. Uh, you know, people don't leave those college uh, dean positions uh, regularly, so you kind of have to move on uh, to move up. And so, and it's really interesting experience growing up of um, being really sad every time we had to leave a place because I, lo- I loved my friends, and then being really happy like four weeks later 
that uh, had this whole new group of people in this whole new place. And uh, we did that to Wisconsin residents. When I was seven, uh, I spent most of my childhood in an area called Sheboygan, Wisconsin, uh, which is interesting. It's, um, it's, you know, classic kind of Midwest United States, hardworking, um, uh, established by Germans and Poles, uh, mostly. Um, every lawn is clean and well manicured. Uh, there's a you know bar on every corner. Um, uh, everybody goes to church on Sunday, uh, and but it's also you know it's interesting. It's also near a lot of major corporations, um, places like Kohler, um, places like Bemis, um, and uh, it so has a very interesting mix of uh, of old money and uh, and old hardworking folks. And uh, a really cool place to grow up. Uh, you sort of you never know in town uh, who owns who owns the building and and who cleans the floors. Uh, and you know I really appreciated growing up in a place like that. Um, when we were when I was sixteen, we moved to Philly <laughs> from rural Wisconsin and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I uh, finished high school in, in Philadelphia, and uh, and I went to college in George at George Washington in Washington, D.C., uh, where I met my wife. And <clears throat> at the time, I went to GW because uh, I wanted to be in international affairs. And I wasn't smart enough to get into Georgetown, and GW was number two. So uh, I, went to, I went to GW. And I got there, and I realized I hated it. Um, that you know, I really loved the international aspect of it, but um, if I had to sit through another poli sci class, uh, I um, I was well, yeah, I was going to be happy about it. <laughs> and it was mostly because I think you know, looking back, um, it was mostly because although I had an interest in it, the people who go to George Washington and take poli sci classes have been interested in it since they were six years old, right? And uh, so it just didn't seem like my thing. <laughs> Uh, I took a deep breath. I took a semester off um, and I was doing some research, just kind of part-time work on campus. And uh, I started doing internal surveys, academic assessment surveys for the Office of Academic Planning and Assessment at George Washington, which was basically the administration asking students uh, if they were having a good academic experience, if they had what they needed to have a good academic experience. These like you know six page Scantron uh, 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 surveys. This was uh, oh, late nineties. I haven't heard that one in a long time. Yeah, this is in the late nineties, uh, and um, and I ended up just loving it. This whole idea of like how you ask the right question, and even where do you position the question on the page? Because we had a lot of you know sort of design the page in those times, uh, and so some visual design questions, and then how do you analyze the data, and you know which technique is best, and how do you present it to executives? And um, and I've basically been doing that since the late 90s. <laughs> That's the, uh, you know, uh, in, in, evolved, right? in evolved forums, I think, you know, the only thing that's really evolved is um, we think more broadly now about how do we enable conversations between people with better feedback rather than how do we give executives, you know, better information to make. Uh, to make decisions, but that, you know, so my journey in this industry is really the journey of the, I think the employee engagement performance and L and D industry, which is 
you know, that shift from how do we design really good surveys and data collection tools to give executives uh, data so they can make decisions, top-down decisions, to how do we now empower people to, to change in an agile way mm. uh, with, you know, better conversations informed by data, uh, but the goal is, is team, uh, you know, team-based empowerment and action, not top-down decision-making. Uh, so yeah, it's been fun. That's uh, you know, it's over 20 years now. I've been doing this. Um, uh, I spent most of that time with a firm called Sorota, which is now part of Mercer, and uh, just sort of doing highly customized employee research, employee engagement. Uh, and joined Glint um, five years ago, uh, almost, and then we were acquired by LinkedIn a year and a half ago. Amazing, amazing. I love that that you that you found that love of, of surveys and, and, and that in the data. And it's just been like this 20 year journey deeper and deeper into that. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Real dedication and to the craft. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe for our listeners, we can jump into, to Glint. I mean, um, sure. I'd love to maybe in you, how you would position, you know, um, in, in the intro, I've kind of briefly talked about okay. what it is, but in your own words, like, what is Glint? And maybe we look at it through the lens of change because this conversation is all around creating positive. How do we create positive change in the world? Um, yeah. Why don't we start there? Sure. Um, I mean, simply put, Glint's a, a platform to help people be happier and more successful at work. Right? And um, now that's abstract. So that gives us lots of flexibility. We do it everywhere. Uh, and then very specifically, the way we, we try to help achieve that is by enabling better habits, um, especially better feedback habits. Mm. Um, and enabling those um, along with conversation habits and uh, along with goal setting habits, and along with action-taking habits, making progress on a regular basis. And all of that sounds like nice and easy, but the truth is we don't do it. Um, and because we get busy with, um, with other perceived priorities. And so, you know, we obsess over creating experiences for people that make doing those things attractive. Uh, and so, you know, an easy way, the, the way we started the easiest way in uh, for us uh, was through employee engagement. It was, you know, an industry that needed that disruption I just mentioned before from being mostly top down to, you know, to being more all in uh, as an organization. Um, but our vision always has been uh, to help people, you know, understand uh, if, you know, in, in the, the ways in which their strengths are playing uh, to their role and not, to understand what is most important for them to work on that'll have the biggest impact on the business and on their team, to know <clears throat> whom to connect with and where to go for support, to do their jobs effectively, to do work that's meaningful, that gives them energy and sustains them uh, when things are tough, and to continuously learn and grow. Uh, and, and in whatever way that means to them, whether that's up or out, uh, or in, uh, and so we call those the five pillars of people success, um, uh, fit, uh, alignment, enablement, motivation, and growth. And we design 
uh, around those things. That's that's kind of the structure uh, that, that we designed towards. So employee surveys, 360 feedback, um, goal setting, ad hoc feedback, performance management, mm. uh, learning and development uh, increasingly as we connect with LinkedIn Learning. Uh, it's just for the overall uh, uh, solution in a, yeah. in, a, in a very big nutshell. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. Um, I mean, as you're going through all of that, I mean, my journey with um, with culture and purpose has been, you know, I, I ran my own business before coming to, to Bridge uh, specifically yeah. around that. And I'm just curious as to like how, again, through the lens of change, how how have you seen culture values you know like you're talking about that that the more bottom-up approach now how, how has that changed through your career and, and where do you see it going so i i think it's become it's interesting when you say how it's changed through my career because i can think of just as a, a many examples of places where it hasn't changed uh, <laughs> sure. uh i think in the you know so in from the bright spot side of things you know with the, when it's working you know the companies that I think are doing really well, the companies that I've enjoyed watching over time, um, they've kept their values pretty stable because they've been good values and well-tested. Um, and they've just been flexible in how they've expressed them and, um, and been really mindful of or thoughtful about um, which things they reward and recognize mm -hmm. and which things they don't. Because at the end of the day, like the other day people don't, so there's a really funny thing that happens on survey questions about culture. If you ask people, is this particular tenant of the culture uh, present in the organization and you, and you, and you type out the tenant in the way that it's sort of on the wall or on the page uh, in company communications, almost everybody says yes. Yeah. Because you're, you're, you're conditioned, you're just conditioned yeah. to nod. You're just conditioned <laughs> to nod when you see that and thumbs up like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to say yes to that. Right. But then if you, if you strip away all that language and just ask, do leaders here engage in the following behavior? And you use none of the words that are ever used to typically tie to that value. You get a much more accurate <laughs> assessment mm -hmm. of that culture and practice. And I, so I think, you know, I, what I've noticed over time is that um, leaders have become more people centric in general and they've learned, uh, they've learned to lead with compassion in general uh, more than, more than in the past. And, to um, understand that people have different ways in which they express and work toward the mission uh, and carry the values of the company with them. And, you know, that requires, uh, it's a lot harder than just coming in and saying, like, I'm the CEO and here are my values and here's what I'm going to do and, yeah. you know, let's go. Uh, and really taking the time to, to understand. But, you know, if you think about the organizations that have really thrived, through change, you think about think about what Satya Nadella was able to do at Microsoft. He didn't go he didn't go in there and do that by telling everybody that you know these are the new culture values. So follow this, right? He started recognizing, rewarding certain things, right, uh, and removing uh, any signals that that sent people in the wrong direction. Right, mm -hmm. unnecessary process uh, incentives that um, that misdirected behavior, right? Uh, that might have been well intended to grow the bottom line, but 
not doing it in the right way that's going to sustain us and help us grow over the long term. And you look at how he's able to how he was able to shift a culture in such a large and entrenched organization. Um, you know, you really have to listen. You really have to do it. Um, you really have to to do it with people, uh, not to people, uh, in terms of changing the culture. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, business is at the end of the day, humans, right? Coming together. Well, largely now humans, more and more computers, I guess, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, of, of coming together and, and the different dynamics and like you were talking about the characters of the authentic self or, you know, bringing all of that. It's, it's such a dynamic place. And so for, yeah, for, I think that, that top down approach that we've, that's historically that served its purpose. Um, yeah, it's really interesting to see how that, that dynamic is changing. I mean, we're um, experimenting and really into the, the whole teal philosophy of organizations of how do you, we're experimenting with the decentralization of leadership. And so yeah. flattening, but also letting employees essentially have more, more autonomy to make decisions faster and quicker. And um, it's a challenge for sure, but it's a, uh, yeah, it's an interesting journey for sure. Um, really is like we see this in you know so i'm in a startup you know my team's doubled uh five times in four years uh i'm not in a startup anymore i work at linkedin now yeah i've always wondered that it's like at what point does a company go from like startup to actual business like you've started we're now we're now benefiting from the many resources of linkedin so i should give them full due uh they've been a wonderful parent um you know when we look at uh we look at teams that double fast and what leaders have to go through when you lead a, a team of say like four or five people you do really your job really is to provide direction um because you're more of a team leader and you're more of a coach um but as your team gets bigger your job is basically to give people the resources they need and support they need to be effective like hire the best person to do the job first yes right and work really hard on that and then give them the stuff they need to be successful hmm. and so your job becomes much more about you know, how do I make sure you have the right operation to do this, the right resources to do this, the right advocacy to do this? Occasionally, like, maybe you should go this way, not that way, because I know something you don't, right, that I can't tell you uh, for some reason in a large organization. Um, but leaving the decision-making uh, to the team uh, is just so important for agility and growth. And we see it everywhere. Like, if I look at the organizations that have thrived, I've been through now, I've worked in this business through two recessions um, and come out better on, on the other end. It's the ones who have this decentralized uh, decision making with centralized operation, operational support uh, uh, balance. Yeah. Um, I mean, as you're saying that, is there anything having gone through, as you said, the, the, the breadth of experience that you've had, um, is there anything that you could share with listeners currently in the current environment going through this disruption um, around that? Like how does one, if you're a leader leading a team or even an individual contributor or in your com community or wherever you are, it's like, how, how do you let go of the tight grip of perceived leadership and decentralize that. Cause I think that's, that's the big mm. challenge I see for a lot of people is like leadership is me being up front, telling you what to do. That's been a historical model, right? Um, yeah. how, how do you, how do you 
transition? Is there anything that you've seen as like easy quick wins or maybe more? <laughs> I'm sure there's no easy quick wins. Or something like that. Uh, if, I, if only, Scott. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so I, the simplest thing, the best advice. Um, well, so there are two things that helped me get there. Uh, one was essentially an ultimatum. Uh, Jim Barnett was, is Glenn's CEO, and he's just a wonderful leader. He's been a CEO many times. And we had lunch a few years ago, and he basically said to me, um, you know, you can have whatever job you want here, but the job I need you to do next, I'm not sure you're ready for, so are you sure you want to do it? Uh, and it was, you know, the team being three times the size as it, as it, as it was then. And for me, it was about operational uh, maturity. You know, I, I love to jump in with customers and, uh, and with the research team. And, you know, what he needed me to do was think about building an organization that would grow over a three-year period. And, um, and sort of, so I think, you know, whether you have somebody around who can challenge you or you can challenge yourself, like, do you really want it? Do you really want to, do you really want to be the leader through this? <laughs> Right. Or do you just want to, do you just want to participate? Cause that's good too. Uh, and so just, you know, ask yourself that question if it's a question about how to be a good leader. And then the second piece of advice, which, uh, Gotham Curra, our other co-founder at Glint, um, always gave me was, was a question was, would this work if, um, if you had five X the responsibility? So whatever that means for you, right? Like, uh, if, you know, if you had 10 kids instead of two, uh, if you had, if your, if your team was, you know, 10 instead of two, um, if you had, you know, a hundred customers instead of, uh, instead of 20, um, you know, whatever that means in your world, um, what would you focus on uh, in that world? Because, you know, there's something you're like, there's, you know, 80% of what you're doing now, you'd have to give up. Uh, and so it's this really nice exercise just to, just to get you to figure out what's most important to get you through mm -hmm. the next couple of stages. There's all sorts of other great advice out there, you know, on different ways to reflect and acknowledge. And I think that's all good. Um, but those two simple things uh, had the biggest impact on me. Yeah, no, love it. Um, I mean, as you're talking, I, I wrote down that entrepreneurial mindset, right? Of how, how do you also transition? And I think this is a big challenge now in disruptive markets and in a disruptive world economy. It's like, how do you move from, you know, there's certain people that need to be in the day-to-day -day and to, to mm -hmm. run a business for sure. But then also to be ahead of the curve and looking things from a systems view or trend view. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I I always wonder too. Is like is that inherently is that learnt or nature nurture? Uh, I don't know. I think it's built through connection. I mean, I um, one of the things that's been helpful for my sanity is to acknowledge that at any given point, I'm not going to be in a position to have it all. Uh, right. I'm not going to be in a position to always be able to spend my time looking out at the marketplace to see what's going to happen. I'm not always going to be in a position to be there with the customer when the thing gets delivered to make sure that it's right. So like on both ends of the spectrum. Right. And so, you know, uh, I think it's really important to focus on having a network around you of people you trust to do those things and to provide that information. So, you know, 
I work for executives whom I trust deeply to to spend time thinking about the marketplace and come back and say, I'm pretty sure we should go this direction, not that direction, and here's why, right? And I don't need to read all the reports, they've read them. Uh, I, you know, I trust, like my job right now is to make sure that people science has the biggest possible impact on the world, right? And so, yeah, I need that info from my executives, but I don't need to be obsessing over it all day, right? I need to be obsessing over that thing I just said. Uh, and so that's really helped me is to just try not to, try not to, to expect myself to do it all, even though I want to do it all. Mm. So wanting to do it all, <laughs> no, you can't do it all. Yeah. That rings true for me for sure. I mean, where, when we're talking about change, where do you draw your inspiration to keep doing what you're doing? What kind of feeds you the fire um, to continue? Yeah. It's my team. Uh, Hands down, we have, I'm just so lucky. We have the, we have built a group of really experienced, intellectually curious, uh, deeply humanitarian, somehow, uh, you know, you know, scientists, practitioners, um, who just work their tails off to delight customers. So funny, like the number of times somebody comes to me on this, on my team and says, Hey, we're getting really high customer satisfaction ratings on this particular delivery role, uh, but I don't think it's actually delivering maximum value. <laughs> it's like, you know, but the customers love it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, 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 but it could be a lot better, right? And, you know, those are my favorite moments. It happens to me, you know, once every couple of days, somebody brings something up like that. And um, it's just such, it just gives me so much energy. I love, I'm a, I don't know, but I score like right in the middle on any of the introversion, extroversion uh, uh, scales. So, I need my me time, but I also get a lot of energy from collaboration and interaction. And uh, this, yeah, uh, just gets so much energy from my team uh, and their ideas uh, and and their irreverence to any uh, any authority I think I might have. Uh, it's uh, it's good, it's humbling and energizing. Nice, nice. Yeah, sounds like you got some good, yeah, dynamics going on there. I mean, um, with. Uh, well, wrap this up because i know um an hour these days is uh is a big attention span for some but i'm hoping that everyone at home has just got more time to like listen to more podcasts and uh and all of that but um i asked this with all of our clients so we, we talk this podcast is really focused around change and positive change in the world and um if you could offer three pieces of wisdom to our listeners from your life and career um, doesn't necessarily need to be purely within the business realm, but um, focused around if you want to change positively yourself, your communities, your family, your business your organization or the wider global system, um, what would you offer? Yeah. I have been reminding myself to do three things lately. Um, so I think this is perfect. You asked for three. <laughs> I think this Power is good. Three, yeah. And it's related to this. It's related to being resilient, even thriving. You know, I think resilience is probably technically accurate, uh, but you know, how do we thrive in a challenging time? Um, so I've been trying to remind myself to do three things. One is to reflect. Just How do you reflect? Well, I meditate, um, which helps. 
but sometimes, you know, you know, I meditate in the morning and then, you know, and then I might have a board meeting. And then after my board meeting, I don't feel like I've meditated. <laughs> and so sometimes for me, it's just staring out the window. It's just, you know, taking a few minutes, take a walk, stare at the window, um, reflect. But while I'm doing that to ask myself a couple of questions. Uh, so one of them is, am I working on, am I focused on the most important thing right now? I ask myself that question uh, often because um, there's a lot, a lot coming at us. Uh, the second is, do I have what I need uh, to be to be successful? And the third is, what am I learning? And so I ask myself those three questions and reflections on a regular basis. Uh, so in this moment, or for the quarter, right? So like you can you can you can fill in the predicate of the sentence uh, uh, so the end of the sentence uh, any way you want. So am I focused on the right thing right now? Am I I have the support I need and, and what am I learning? What can I learn from this? The second thing I've been doing is reminding myself to connect. Um, I tend to uh, put my head down in challenging times and, um, and crank because and, it feels good to be productive and gives, gives me a sense of control. Uh, but I've been trying to remind myself to make sure I have social support, make sure that I have people, or even if I'm not using them, that make sure I have a good network of support around me for emotional support, advice, encouragement, uh, love, uh, uh, Reese budget, <laughs> make sure I'm, make sure I'm uh, sending virtual coffees to the head of finance uh, and things like that. Um, so connection is the second, second big bucket. Uh, it's important not to forget and also make sure I'm doing things for other people because that makes me feel good too in connection. Um, so it always gives me a boost to find one or two things I can do uh, during the day to help somebody else, either at work or, or outside. And the third is prioritize. I think I've come back to this a couple of times. Just how important it is now that I've reflected on uh, what's important and thought about, you know, what's available out there to help me do that thing what is that one thing I'm going to commit to? Like make sure it's going to get done today. Um, that one most important thing. Uh, when we joined, this is really helpful for me when we were acquired by LinkedIn, you know, as a, at the time I was a mid-level manager and anybody who's been a mid-level manager will tell you it's sort of like the, I think it's, um, it's where people who are really, really bad in their past lives get reincarnated, go to get reincarnated, uh, <laughs> so, you know, has uh, none of the benefits of being up or down. Um, and it's a, you know, it can be a chaotic role. And I think in our first company, All Hands, Jeff Wiener got up and talked about his focus model and how, you know, the thing that's so helpful for him is to make sure he can always say, if somebody asks, like, what's your number one job? Uh, to answer that question. Mm. And so I think that third bucket of prioritization is just so important. Like if somebody asked you today, what's your number one job? Could you answer it? And because you can always go back to that during challenging times to give yourself a sense of control, a sense of focus. That's really interesting. Yeah. Priority is such a funny word for me. I, when I found out that uh, the original meaning of priority, like it's, it is meaning the most important and now okay. it's, yeah. And, and in what, in the forties or something, it got changed into pry one, pry two, pry three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is really important to keep the lens on, um, yeah, the eye on the prize or, yeah, what would have the biggest impact here and now and for sure. Yeah. So priority, connecting with others, and then those three questions of reflection of uh, what's most important again, 
Um, do I have the support that I need? Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. And what am I yeah. learning? Yeah. Back to your curiosity. I love it. I love that through this conversation, I really have, you know, and by no design, we didn't plan it that way, that, that your values have really resonated through some of the stories that you've been sharing in that. And that's really nice to see if, um, you know, from a cultural point of view, from change as well, change is, is a constant um, and, and having stability through that living, you know, a valued life. Uh, I think it's really important. It's nice to see that, that it's resonating for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Wonderful. Well, um, I can't thank you enough for your time. Great to chat with you. I'd love to, to catch up with you in a, in a couple months time and see how you're doing and, 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 and the growth of Glint wish you all the best. And, um, yeah, keep, keep thriving to kick, take care of yourself and, and, um, enjoy the time up in, in the attic and also with your family there in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks Scott. You too. Uh, stay well there in, in Hong Kong and uh, all my best to, to everybody at bridge. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the bridge breakthrough podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, big thank you to Justin for joining us for this episode. And if you'd like to know more about Glint and the work that they're doing, um, you can check them out online at www.glint, that's G-L-I-N-T, Inc, I-N-C, all one word, dot com. So glintinc.com. To find out more about Bridge Partnership, you can always find us at bridge-partnership.com. Um, looking forward to catching you next episode. Be well, stay safe, and we'll speak to you soon.